On today's show... You as the individual who maybe be more financially inclined or may have more desire to do more of the investing, it's up to you to bring your other spouse who's more reluctant into the conversation and say, let me educate you. I'll keep the books on it. I'll measure our returns. But what you need to understand is what we have and why do we have it? If at something at some point happens to me and some change happens with this investment, I want you to have a high level understanding of what you can do and why you should do it. And that's all I ask. Hello, this is Josh here with a quick public service announcement. There will be times in this podcast where you hear us refer to the title Investing Heart to Heart, which was the original name of the show before our research showed us that the audience connected better with Wealth Building with Friends. So thank you for joining the Wealth Building with Friends community. And please leave a review with a couple comments wherever you listen to podcasts, because that is how we can sustain growth. And we really need you. Thank you for being part of the tribe. Welcome to Wealth Building with Friends. I'm Usha Patel. Our partners, Melanie and Josh McAllen, will join Bob and I as we meet families just like yours. Our guests come from all walks of life. Successful sales professionals, business owners, consultants, contractors. This podcast will explore the why behind investing and dig deep into the power of relationships, no matter where you are on your personal investment journey. Learn side by side with all of us. We're glad you're here. Welcome back to the big show. Today, we have Bob and myself, Josh. Our lovely wives are not here today, Bob. It's a sad day because you and I benefit so much from being a married team. It's a lonely day. (laughs) But Bob, you and I have to finish our, we have to complete our mission. Our mission is clear. And that is to get to know more and more good people as they share their normal life, their everyday life, and how they also add investing to it. And do we have a great person to add value to us today? Buddy, let's invite uh, Mark McGuire to the show. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to uh, be here and add some value. Yeah. And Mark, of course, is a very successful, uh, he's an entrepreneur, he's an investor, but he's really every day of the week, I think he goes in and and is a top performing real estate agent as well. Before we give too much of the story away, Mark, would you share with the audience a little more about Mark McGuire and Leah, your lovely (laughs) wife who wasn't able to be here today? Yeah. Well, my lovely wife is not able to be here today because she actually just got hired at uh, Abington Jefferson Hospital. So okay. uh, congratulations! really excited for her. She's been working for a couple of years for a nursing degree and uh, just got hired. So Woo. well, our, our thanks to her for the service she's providing to the community, particularly now. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been a crazy time and you know, she's, she knows the risks and smiled and said, you know, send me in, you know, kudos wow. to her for the courage. Mm-hmm. So, when I'm not with Leah, um, <laughs> my by day I have a residential real estate sales team in the Philadelphia suburbs, and it's Montgomery and Bucks counties is our our real sub market. Then got started investing in real estate, you know, probably about five years ago. Yeah, and I, I, Josh, I just wanted to say that not only is he just a real estate agent, he is a mega real estate agent. I've actually had the pleasure of interviewing Mark on my. Other podcast quite a while ago called the Get Real Show, and he was an amazing guest there. And I'm really looking forward to hearing how you've translated your success in real estate to uh, to investing in in real estate. 
No, absolutely. That was a fun show to do. I really appreciate that opportunity. <laughs> and you know, the thing is, is that I think so many, at least real estate agents, and I would probably extend this to higher performing corporate individuals as well. They spend way above what their means are and they create this lifestyle that they become accustomed to that's not sustainable and they just bury themselves in debt and then they just never get out. They don't invest the way that they need to. Mm, that's a, that, that is a true point. And of course, we knew that you were a powerful top agent. I just want to understand, if you don't mind, could we go back a little deeper? Because you are young 30s, powerful yep, millennial, 30. Yep. 30, powerful millennial team member. So how did you get from the high school years to here? What, what brought you to this kind of... So I actually played in a band professionally for seven years. Oh, that'll, that'll teach you to think differently. Yeah. Seriously, well, that, that's so a there great was, thing. There was nobody chasing you down to ask if you did your homework. You know what I mean? There was <laughs> like, you only, you showed up, you played on stage and, you know, your performance indicated how well you practiced. So I was in a band. I started in high school and I actually went to, to Temple and I was at the Fox Honor School of Business and I ended up dropping out, which my mom was an educator. So you can imagine how well that went. Oh, probably really nicely. Oh, it was great. <laughs> Christmas was not fun that year. <laughs> but um, I gave up a scholarship, dropped out, oh, pursued the band okay. full time. And then, you know, we played some pretty, pretty large shows, some major, major festivals, and then toured, you know, the country and toured some parts of Canada and end up getting an offer from RCA Records. And wow, it was crazy because we were going to get, they were going to give us the, the total deal was 200,000 of which we were going to get a $40,000 advance split four ways. So there's 10,000 mm. then take 20% for the manager and then give the attorney his $7,500. <laughs> and this was pre-tax. <laughs> I was like, guys, I don't think this works. And they were all excited to go spend money to travel to New York City to sign it. And I had, had my real estate license at the time. And I'm like, there's this great platform called DocuSign. Why do we got to travel? <laughs> so that was about when I knew it was time for me to, to do something different. Well, congratulations on all that success because that's beyond special that you had any success because we all had buddies in high school that had a band and it was the coolest thing in the world but they probably gave up soon after because it's you know you have to really have a passion for it so that shows you have passion because you kept that going for five years or how many years seven that's that's yeah. incredible yeah because how hard that must have been so that does get you ready to think differently is that then you go into real estate full-time well, I was kind of the logistics guy in the band. I played drums and sang background vocals, but when it came time to doing math, I was the guy that they asked me, well, Mark, what do you think? And mm -hmm. so I was always kind of doing the, the penciling of, of, you know, like when you're touring, well, how, long, how far is the distance? What's the gas cost, toll cost, hotel costs? Sometimes there weren't hotels. There were just a van. Just the van. So we were by the river. borrowing, stealing, you know, and... Um, so that really kind of was the biggest thing was I was kind of the guy doing the logistics at a very early age. And I was also the guy that tend to work while playing in the band. So I was the only guy that had any money. Yeah. So when they're like, Hey man, like we need to like front a little cash. Like you think you can like front it? I did that a couple of times till I got burnt. And it was like, There's okay. a certain work ethic I'm starting to see show up here. Oh yeah. I don't know any other way. No, but tell us about the work as a sales. I mean, basically you're, you're an independent contractor as a real estate agent. So, yeah, so how did you get from here to there, there to here? Yeah. So, well, I mean, and, and when we were in the band, I mean, like that was at the advent of Twitter. Okay. Um, it was the, the conversion of MySpace and Facebook was very still prevalent, but then it was the advent of Twitter. So we had played a couple of gigs with Neon Trees, The Script, uh, it was The Wanted. 
uh, Imagine Dragons. I mean, we played mm, with some really heavy that's acts. Amazing. That still, yeah, yeah, it was really cool. I mean, I, I'm playing with the 1975. I mean, like these guys were just like I, humans. You got to meet cool people, and you know, some of them were absolutely arrogant jerks, and there were those people too. But most of the people were pretty human. But you know, when you're an independent band and you don't have all the glitz and the glamour. Most people in the music industry are broke as a joke until you're absolutely rich. Like there is no in between. There's no middle class in, in the music industry. They're like starving or just, you know, like absolutely making it rain. Or, or maybe the middle class is, is wedding singers. Well, there is something. Maybe. Well, so, so one of the guys in the band actually went and started a cover band and then he yeah. ended up you know, going on to do some pretty good stuff there. You make a lot of money. You just hit a hard ceiling and you just never break. Uh, well, hey, the middle class and wealth creation is starting to vanish also. That's right. <laughs> so. Well, the interesting thing about music and no one talks about this is publishing and royalties. So this is where my business mind, I remember when I was getting out of the band, they offered to buy me out of the contract and they were going to give me like $4,000. And I'm like, $4,000 is not making or breaking whether or not I live my life today. I was living at home. My parents were cool with me living at home. So I kept the rights to the royalties, which never ended up hitting. But in like, I would go back and do it exactly the same way because if we had one song hit and I had, you have publishing rights and then you have basically performance rights. There's two different, there's writing credits and there's publishing credits and they equal 100% of the, the pie. So each time you get a play on Spotify, 50% go to publishing, 50% go to writing. Oh, I didn't know one that. of those 50% is actually allocated between the members who either wrote the song or who played in the song. Okay. So we, I retained all the rights and it never panned out to anything, but I'm proud of the decision-making process because it I just do too. got me thinking on the multiple streams of income front. And that is really where I've transitioned, you know, to really looking at income that way, as opposed to like, how much can I make this year? It's so, how many streams can I add? You know, you're the first person on the show and we're going to, you know, the show's going to metamorphosize. Bob and I are, we're very patient. We're ready for the show to go where it needs to go. But in general, the listeners are new to taking full responsibility for their investing, or maybe they just want to hear how other people are doing it and they want to dip their toe into conversations. So you're the first person talking about multiple income streams. That's, that's even interesting. I don't think people think like that typically. So those, some of our listeners mm -hmm. uh, work for a nice big company and they put their money in IRA and 401k and that's a very good choice. They don't think of that as an income stream. They think of it as retirement, correct? So yep. that, thank you for introducing this new concept that investing could be part of your f current life, not just your future life. Absolutely. And I want to be clear. I did not come up with that concept. There were men smart, far smarter than me. I think one of them is Bob who, <laughs> you know, introduced me to the concept, but um, I equate it to fishing. I like to fish in my spare time. And it's like, do you want to just have one fishing line with one piece of bait trying to catch one giant fish? Or do you want to have 10 fishing lines that could all catch something and maybe one catches a big fish, but you know, at least you have other lines out there in the water, you know, giving you the ability to catch other fish while you wait for that big one. So cool. That's a nice way to visualize investing. Thank you. So you, you said something earlier, Mark, that I want to, I want to step back a little bit. You, you talked about the fact that a lot of people created lifestyles that were, were difficult to maintain, perhaps made them work harder and harder and harder to maintain that. How do you, how have you kept your lifestyle in check? Is there something that you do, you do specifically to make sure that you don't overextend yourself as you grow your business, as you grow your investing? Yeah. Well, my family has been a big part of keeping me in check because they're always like, it's not about how much you earn, it's about how much you save. I've been really fortunate. My family is really heavily um, invested in real estate. My, my grandfather was a tremendous role model. My father and my mother were tremendous role models. I mean, they really lived the, lived 
below their means when they could have, my dad always joked about having a Mercedes and my dad could have bought a Mercedes if he wanted to buy a Mercedes. I mean, <laughs> if you buy a Ford Explorer, they're more expensive than Mercedes these days. Anyways, it's really boils down to just talking the talk, but walking the walk. And I had really good family examples of good financial foundations for me. Well, well, like, like what did they like to buy that you got to see as a kid growing up houses or business buildings, commercial buildings? So my dad was always, my dad's a financial advisor and he is very much in the market. And I was always like, dad, I don't get why you do that. My grandfather, we call him Dumpy. It's <laughs> literally, I can't even make that up. But uh, Dumpy uh, has a lot of real estate. And I grew up when I was 17, I was, I was landscaping. And then their family went and they had some properties. And he said, hey, well, I need somebody to help clean all these properties out. So when I was, after my junior year, going into my senior year of, of high school, I started working for him just cleaning out basements and attics, like the worst of the worst jobs of all the stuff that had been neglected for 10 to 15 years when his brother was doing stuff and just wasn't keeping the watchful eye. I ended up going back in and like cleaning out wet basements of mildewed clothing and like crappy cardboard boxes full of (laughs) records that everyone forgot existed. So it was like a really good, like, Hey, this is what owning real estate is like. Like this is the reality of it. So that was some of the stuff that I got involved really early. And then I kind of took an interest in the construction. And then once I started seeing that, I was like, well, tell me the numbers that are involved here. Like, how does the math work? And I got this, like, I got my real estate license and started helping him identify potential opportunities to acquire. And that was 2012, 11 area. And that was when the market was at its bottom. And he was, we bought like, I don't know, six or seven properties that year. So wow, be a lot of stuff firsthand. Well, you know, it's, it's amazing that um, you had an opportunity to be around people at such a young age that you had belief in and, and could see that by taking actions in alignment with that, you could get a specific result, which is really powerful. Have you ever, uh, and I think I know the answer to this, involved yourself with other quote unquote tribes that would help you to, um, to become your best version um, oh. from an investing perspective? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I joined a group called M1 that I uh, was put in contact with about four years ago. And then, you know, that was served as my springboard to a part of a group called GoBundance, which is a group of healthy, wealthy, generous men that, you know, look to lead epic lives. And, you know, you focus on these six key pillars of your life and being around people who want to level up is key to your growth because it's easy to get complacent and it's easy to settle once you get enough. And being around those people really continues to push me because I'm, I'm nothing compared to those guys. So I, I, I'm still learning every day. I beg to differ. But uh, so, so are, are you suggesting that they challenge you beyond what you think is possible for you? Absolutely. They just challenge me to think differently and challenge me to think outside of the box and, you know, look at, look at something from a different perspective and have different angles at it as opposed to just seeing it the way I see it. You know, they, mm. they just kind of suggest other possibilities or other ways that you could cut things up. Mm to potentially generate a a, a more favorable result for everybody. Hi, this is Melanie McCallan. Josh and I are just so grateful for the many investors who already joined us at Accountable Equity. Accountable Equity is so much more than a capital group. It's really a community of accredited investors that want to learn and grow together. I just want to personally invite you, if you want to find out more about this type of investment and see if it's right for you and your family, please visit us at accountableequity.com. Your lovely wife, Usha, was saying, Bob, in an earlier show, that we all still have 24 hours. And yet some of us 
use them differently and being in groups like that, or, you know, these, that whole world of masterminds, you're basically describing a mastermind called go abundance, as you said. And we had the, um, I've been had the privilege on a different show that we, we participated in the interview, Mike McCarthy, the founder of that, one of the founders of that great and book on that, by the way, tribe of millionaires, tribe of millionaires on that show. The, the whole point about that is the being around those people is that whole thing we're trying to do with this show, but in a, a very simple way. We want to hear other conversations, other perspectives, and we may not agree with all of them, but we're, we're being exposed to new ways. I think it's kind of sad if we all just remember what we remembered when we were 18 or 15 or maybe when we were 20. Uh, let's assume we got really good advice from a financial advisor and they said, invest with a mutual fund every year. That would have been great advice. But what if we literally locked that in a box and never questioned it? Where will we get to? I mean, incrementally, maybe a little better every year, but no, no change, right? We won't really change our life. But if we start to seek out these conversations, which we hope this show does for so many hundreds and hundreds of people, just offering new conversation topics, new perspectives. And Mark, you're coming from a perspective of, listen, you're, you're like my friend Bob Wells over there. You, you can sell. And you know how to sell and hustle. And you know that your worth in sales will produce larger income. Absolutely. So you, that's, that, by the way, a lot of times I meet people in sales. Sales is a very empowering business, isn't it, Bob? It sure is. Yeah. But I want to just, uh, Bob, I want to leave it off to you because I, I know the other big connection between you and Mark is the program you do with Financial Mastery. Bob has offered that and you've attended that, correct, Mark? Yep. Yep. Twice. Yeah. Uh, tell me about that. So it, why does somebody really want to go out of their way to learn about wealth creation? If you want to work <laughs> for the rest of your life, I mean, you know, I feel like so many people, like their life goal of the American dream is like work till you're 65 and retire and die. And like, that's not really my idea of life goals. I mean, I want to work, you know, accumulate wealth and do it as soon as possible. So I, it can continue to work for me. And, you know, I can take on projects that I'm truly passionate about and not have to take something on just because I need the money to pay my bills to live. And I think, you know, the financial mastery program, you know, one of the, my big takeaways was looking at multiple streams of income and saying, you know, you don't necessarily need to have one thing that earns $500,000 a year, because let's just say that one thing just gets cut in half. You know, let's just say you own retail and retail gets absolutely crushed and all the retailers stop paying rent and all you own is a strip center and you, all you have are retail tenants. Well, guess what? might be in trouble in that lifestyle you thought was so great. You're not very diverse. So, mm -hmm. you know, your program caused me to challenge my own thought process and, you know, how can you diversify your income and, and not just have one thing be what sustains your existence and, and not just existing, but existing, but, but thriving. Cause there's one, there's one thing to say like you're existing and there's another thing to say that you're thriving and living your best life. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people, sometimes they just exist and they just get by and their goal is just to retire and they don't have any real clear plan of how to do it. And they end up, you know, just kind of just letting life happen to them instead of choosing how to live. You know, you, you seem like a pretty goal oriented person. And I'm, I'm just curious what, when, when, and we all have limiting beliefs. What do you, what do you believe with respect to how many passive income streams you'd like to, to, to create for yourself and your family? Well, as long as we can get the K-1s coming in at the appropriate time periods, <laughs> I, you know, like for me, I, I would love to have 10 to, to, to 20. I mean, that would be ideal. I think I'm at seven right now. 
Mm -hmm. I mean, my goal is to just continually add one a year. And then eventually at a certain point, my active income just pays the bills. And then the rest of the income just continually gets reinvested. That's beautiful. When you have seven right now, let me just ask real quick, uh, do you have a, obviously I know you're involved with some projects with us, with accountable equity, but are you also, um, is that six other houses or do you have other private investments? Businesses and or partnerships and or syndications that I'm involved in as well. I, I wanted to, to, to also add, Mark, that the, the K-1 acronym is actually a tax reporting document, not an oh, acronym. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a tax reporting document for uh, income received from passive ownership of a, of a business or a syndication. So uh, that's great idea. Uh, we don't want to scare anybody. You're absolutely right. We I'm should sorry. define these. I should have yeah. We you should know, just. Def- and by the way, Mark's making fun because obviously, when you have a a fund, you have to have these things filed before August fifteenth. So he wanted to. <laughs> he wants his documents from the funds we help him with. Faster, is what he's saying. Really? But, oh, uh, I didn't get that. Yeah, that's where he's going with that. But you are. Thank God, Bob. You're right. Our show is to never. Uh, leave anybody behind, right? We don't want to leave anybody behind. We're all here yeah. to learn. I mean, so, you know, investing in a business sounds like such a, a difficult thing, um, but, you know, it's, it's a limiting belief. There's always opportunities out there to invest in so many different things. We just have to open our minds up to the possibilities of that. You know, the interesting thing is that I remember when I first got started, I, I mean, like five years ago, if you had told me where I'd be today, I would have laughed at you. I literally, I would have laughed at you. I was 25 years old and like all I could think about was maybe I'll make $100,000 one day. And I, I never imagined what actually would be possible. And, and $100,000 to me was gross like revenue and sales. Not right, like, of course. Forget expenses and all that. It was just like $100,000 in gross commission income would be great. And now, you know, from that point to where I am, you just so underestimate what you can achieve in five years. It's so hard. Even when you write down a five-year vision, like all of us have here, it's amazing to see when you look back at that vision five years ago, what that vision truly is and how it truly comes together. Mr. McGuire, I think you're going to laugh at the number of income streams that you stated today when you look back 10 years from now. (laughs) I hope so. I I think it's going to be much closer to 30 or 40 than than the number that you think because your, your mindset and the way you think is, is, um, is totally in line with, with that type of performance. So I'm excited to see where that goes. Thank you. I hope you're right. So, okay, well then, can you share with us, uh, let's go back and scratch the surface back and teach our listeners. So you're a band guy that has a family in real estate and a dad in financial services. Yep. So you're, you're, you're both the Wall Street side of investing and the Main Street side of investing. Some people call it that. Because well, let me interject one second. Tell me about that. I am ignorant as I'll get out when it comes to financial markets. What financial investing was, was just allocating a portion of your income to savings. That's the background I got from my dad. Oh, okay. So truthfully, I'll never forget reading Tony Robbins book, Money Master the Game, which is a really good read, but it's super heavy and it's really dense. But I can sum up that book for you and say mutual funds have a large percentage of management fees and therefore it costs you on a compounded basis the longer you're in it. So what I did get from my, my family was if you earn $100, you better save at least 20 of them. And that's like $100 pre-tax. So that means you're going to get 80 net after the government dips their hand in there. So of the $80 you net, you got to save 20, which then gives you 60 to live. And if you want to accelerate your growth even quicker, then you should save 30 to 40. Now that's not manageable for everybody's life circumstance. 
but that's my foundation that I was given that's allowed me to, to you know, partner in these different opportunities. Uh, no, that, that is good. There's that book, uh, The Richest Man in Babylon. Have you guys ever read that book where mm-hmm. they talk about setting aside up front? But they talk about 10%. And I don't, they do. in this they do. day, so your family age, said 20. It's not, not and, and the richest families actually say 40. I, that was the wealthiest families in this country say 40% of their income. It's been powerful uh, getting to know this thinking. But I, I have a, there's so much financial mastery coursework in your vernacular. You can see how aligned the two of you guys are. Yeah. What other like aha, aha moments, if you could crystallize back when, when you were changing your mind about how to live your life and set bigger goals, what would be some of the ahas that maybe some of our listeners are going through right now? If we can just kind of share how that, what surprised you about investing when you started changing your shift? I would say the velocity of money, I think. Ooh, is, fancy words. Yeah. So what that means is how quickly money, in the beginning, when you make your first investment, you feel like you save for a long time to make investment one. And if you do it right, you spend $0 from investment one and you take all the, that money and then you save it for investment two. Mm. So you have this snowballing effect. In bigger pockets, they call it the stack. You have this compounding effect of all the money continually building up. And, and what you find is, okay, so it may take you five years to save up to buy your first property. I have no idea what your income is, but let's just say it does. So then if you use your regular income, plus you add the investment income from investment one, maybe it only takes you three or two or three years to save for investment two. Well, said. so then you go and you have two properties that are working for you, two investment streams that are working for you beyond your regular income. Now only maybe it takes you one year to save for investment three. And then it gets to a point where you're doing multiple investments a year or you're doing bigger investments and doing these passive style syndication investments that'll you know, only allow for the accredited investor type. I used to hear when I was younger, people, you know, the concept of, of being a professional investor. And the first thing that jumped in my mind was, well, where the hell are you getting your money? You, you just That's, like buy houses all day. How do you, how does that, is that, how's that possible? But from what Mark is saying, you could see how it's very possible that as your money starts generating money, that that becomes your income stream and you literally have to invest because you're generating more money than your lifestyle requires. So Mark, you know how there's one other thing that came up so well in other shows where we have our lovely wives, which, you know, Bob and I were graced with great, so are you, with a great marriage and lovely spouses. Bob had a great question, but remember you said, how does the dynamic of investing work as a couple for your family? Is one more excited about investing, one less? Or is there a good dialogue? How does it work in your family? Well, I will say it's been an interesting shift. My wife and I have been married almost three years. Hey. When we, before we got married, I'd had a couple properties under my belt before we had gotten married. So my wife is a couple years younger than me. And, and you know, in the beginning, I learned a lesson. I, I was investing in things and I wasn't saying, hey, we're doing this. Because my wife oh, really yeah. kind of does a lot of the management day-to-day stuff, but I kind of handle the majority of the accounts. And as time's gone on, you know, I've asked her to be more of a partner in understanding what we have, how it functions, because God forbid anything ever happens to me, I want her to know, you know, I don't want her to be able to live in that ignorance and then get forced with a royal mess that she has to clean up when I die. Yeah, I don't want that. So to this point, she's still maybe a bit more hands-off than I'd like. She, she's like, well, if you think it's right, then okay. But I'm like, well, I want to show you why I think it's right. And her brain just doesn't have the same love for it that mine does. <laughs> and that's always good. It seems like it's always going to be the case. We have, we have investors in our accountable equity funds, and it's the ladies who invested, and they drag the husband along. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, sometimes it's, 
it can go both ways as far as genders or just ba- usually it's based on personality types. And, yep. and it seems to me couples tend to balance each other's personality yep. type. So we're all going to be like that. And I love how our community and what we're trying to foster, Bob, you and I with the learn and grow events we do is meant for both sides of the relationship to just kind of get to know each other and Abs- other people. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I've met, have met with and, and talked with a lot of investors, interviewed a lot of investors before, and, and just as many females as males are, are the ones that are the driving force behind that. And it doesn't matter who the driving force is, but I think it's really important that they both understand that that's an equal responsibility. Uh, you know, Usha, at, in the beginning of our relationship, was saying, I don't really need to know. And I, and I said, well, you know, if, if you ever wake up someday and, and we're broke, it's your fault. <laughs> she said, what do you mean it's my fault? And I said, it's your fault because you weren't paying attention. So don't, you know, you can't blame me. And so since that time, now we're both a lot more actively engaged. But I think, I think it's important that we involve our spouse. It really, really is because that way um, we're going over into this with open eyes. But I think it's a two-way street, right? You, the, the spouse, you as the individual who maybe be more financially inclined or you know, may have more desire to do more of the investing, it's up to you to bring your other spouse who's more reluctant into the conversation and say, let me educate you or let me, like you don't need to know the intricate details. I'll keep the books on it. I'll, I'll measure our returns. But what you need to understand is what we have, where we have it, and why do we have it? And if at something at some point happens to me and some change happens with this investment and it's not performing the way it should be, I want you to have a high level understanding of you know what you can do or, and why you should do it. And that's all I ask. Are you thinking like 30 minutes a week just to go over the big picture? Honestly, maybe an hour a month. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. And, and right now, getting that idea. its own you know, tricky spot, but just saying, Hey, here's where we are because I do know some families who have been in financial trouble and mm-hmm. one spouse just has no clue. And one day they're just like, well, what do you mean? My cards declined. I've never been broke. I'm just so afraid of being broke that it'll just never happen. Like my own fear of being broke motivates me to make sure I'll have more than I ever need. That's my own personal way. Well, you know, I think that's brilliant because the, the, the average human being is more motivated by pain than they are by pleasure. You know, we all have a, sometimes things we really want, but we don't take action on on that desire because there's too much pain involved in what we think might happen if we make a mistake and not enough pain involved with um, taking no action at all. But I think right. a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that it's becoming financially free is this thousand pound gorilla. And it's really not. Hmm. And I think that it just starts with one step. And that you just have to take the first step and just begin the momentum. Because once you get the momentum, you know, then at that point, you're like, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. Like, I got money and I didn't do anything necessarily to get it. Like, <laughs> yeah, this you is big. You know, to add to that, for those who, who you know, it, it's cool. We, 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 we're positing a thought. You know, our thesis of this little show is if we put the good conversations together, people will be comfortable to take that first step, whatever that first step is for them. Because at some point you had the comfort and that's what I keep going back to. I'm trying to think, where was it that helped Mark be willing? Yeah. What helped you be comfortable that first time? It was my grandfather. My grandfather helped me buy my first property. He, this was in March of 2013. And 
I was going to buy a condo, which condos have less stuff that can go wrong. You don't have yes. to look at the roof. You don't have to worry about the siding. You got windows, sliders, heating units, and air conditioning units, hot water heaters. That's basically it. So I had been doing the, the renovations in different properties. So I'd had a baseline knowledge of the, like the toilets and, mm-hmm. and, and the leaky sinks. Like I knew that I could kind of cover that expense by doing the work myself because I was working in a day in, day out. So I had the confidence that I could handle it. I went in and I worked at my job from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then I head over to the condo. I ripped up the kitchen floor, put in new bathrooms and did it all myself. Did you really? Yeah, so I would work from like, you know, four o'clock to 10 p.m. God bless the woman who lived above me. She never said anything. If I were to go back, I'd do that all over again differently. Yeah. But that was really what gave me the confidence was I had someone who I knew had the knowledge that was willing to mentor me. And what I will say is I was fortunate to have that, but there's a lot of people and they don't necessarily have to be your family members who are willing to mentor you. Like I'm looking for someone currently to mentor. Like I want to give, like I've, I've had the ability for someone to give to me. I want to return it now. I want to throw the rope down. So this is an open invitation. If someone wants help and they want to know what to do, how to do it, I'm here to give time and I'm not here to charge you for it. Wow. I just want to give. What a big offer. So I hope someone takes me up on it. I mean, I can't put in the work for you, but what I can do is give you the knowledge. And I, I think that's magnificent specifically because you're 30 years old. I know. And you're it's already incredible. willing to give back at that kind of level where you're not expecting anything in return. I, I, I really respect you for that. Me too. Hey, if I can help young people get ahead, especially with all the freaking college debt people have, I was mm-hmm. fortunate enough to drop out. And <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I know, you know, it's funny now that I go to work and I wear a college shirt, you know, my mom's like, oh, okay, you're successful now. But at the time, let me tell you, it was not in favor my dad, God bless him. He like had my back all the way. He was like, you know what? Mark will find his way. He's a smart enough kid. You're right. I mean, he's in the financial advisory business. Uh, you would think he would have wanted you to finish college. So he, no, he actually saw the math. So I'll give my dad credit when oh. my dad was saying, well, wait a minute, it's $25,000. You throw room and board and food over and above them this thing. Now we're at like 30 before you blink. So you're 30, 35 grand for, for a year of college. Like, is that really like, what do you need to earn for that to make sense? It's interesting, right, Bob? Because especially in sales, you don't need college and sales, you have to work on yourself. You have to learn and you have to be, you know, and have high integrity, do a good job, but you don't actually have to go to college for well, some I, of the best I earning didn't. careers. I mean, I, I didn't go to college. I, mean, I went into the Marine Corps that. when I was 19 years old, eight, eight years in the Marine Corps. And I went right into the, to the work, work world. And um, I don't, you know, I think, I think if you're, if you're going to go to college, it's, it's a, it's an awesome thing. I think education is an awesome thing to be successful. You have to have education and hustle or hustle. <laughs> well, with enough hustle, I think it comes education. That's well, his with, point. With the education without the hustle, you, st- <laughs> you know, you're still going to struggle. You know, uh, you, yeah. you've got to, you've got to be willing to, to take action. You know, Absolutely. With, with I think a lot know. of people spend all this time doing all of the seminars and reading all the books, but then they never actually like say, well, you know what? Like, I'm going to just do a deal. And, and like, honestly, I tell people all the time, like, you're going to do your first one and it's going to suck. You're going to feel like you're <laughs> drinking out of a fire hose. And it's, you're like, you think like bullets are like whizzing by your head. You're, in the <laughs> zone. you're like kind of just dodging and, you know, you're going to get to a point where, at some point, you just have to jump in and, and you're either going to swim because you're going to swim or you're going to be like, hey, somebody throw me a life vest, I got to get out. <laughs> and the thing is, is if you do deal one, 
there's a high probability you're going to do deal two if you get into deal one with the right person. Amen. And it's key to align with the right buy. But I did want to say one last thing. My grandfather always said to me, do you want to make money while you work every day and you go to work or would you rather make money while you sleep? Always resonated with me. And he, he's to this day, he's like, I just making money while I sleep. He's down <laughs> playing softball. That's what's important to him now. Uh, what I love a rich him. dad. What a rich dad education you got. There. Oh man. Someday I, I have to meet him. <laughs> but he is, he's a man who's got, Oh, you will. He is a man who's got plenty. And now it's at a point where like, but you never know it. He lives so below his means. That man was the most scrupulous individual. And even now the guy's 85 and he, you'd never know what he has. And, and it, the key is you just live below your means. That is so key. If you can afford a hundred thousand dollar lifestyle, take a 60 or $70,000 lifestyle and save the 30,000 and put it to work for you. That's, that's it. That's the great advice. And I just thank you very much for making it all achievable and understandable. Simple. Is there a way you'd like us, to, if there's people who would like to take you up on that mentorship, how would you yep. like us to reach back out to you? Yeah, listeners? I think you just shoot me an email. It is mark at movingbucksmont.com. And that is B-U-C-K-S-M-O-N-T. It's a pleasure to have you here. Can't wait to do it again. Bob, did you have anything? I just love the whole process of speaking to Mark. You've got such wisdom for a guy of 30. Uh, It's well beyond your your, your years. And I want to thank you for being here and sharing that with everyone. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining us at the table. No matter where you are on your personal investment journey, we're glad you came. Join us next time for another engaging episode of Wealth Building with Friends.